2: Hello, hockey fans, welcome to the Hockey Podcast. This is Mark Warner, along with Chris Lisa, my host. We're here to talk about the Stanley Cup final. Chris, welcome to the show, sir. Good day to you. Good day
0: to you. Nice and smooth.
2: Not too shabby, sure beats how I I brought us in last time, I was still trying to figure out what to do with this studio interface they have for us, and uh, so far so good this time. We have a pretty special guest here today, old friend of the show, Dana Lane is going to be calling in to join us, and we'll get the Vegas perspective on what went down in games one and two, but before before we get to Dana, what did you think of last night, and give me an overall view of uh, what you saw so far in the first two games.
0: I'll give you three three quick points, Uh, the first two, which really uh, also from last night. Uh, One, the Penguins are dictating play. Uh, Other than the second period of game one, they are totally dictating play. The Sharks have had moments, but the Pens have been in control of these games. Uh, Two, I don't think it was talked enough about uh, before the start of the series We all knew that Pittsburgh has been great at blocking shots, but unlike a lot of other teams in the past who were great at that, they usually block shots to to stop an offensive chance. The Penguins block a shot, then get in control of the puck, and then they go from defense to offense in the blink of an eyelash and then off to the races with their speed. Uh, And then three for me, you know, someone might say, hey, look, I know the Sharks are down that now they go home, they get a chance to hold serve, let's keep in mind, even though the Penguins have been much better, we have had two one-goal games, one go to overtime, so this can turn around very quickly, and I I understand that perspective, but I would also warn them from what I've seen in the first two games is, Martin Jones has been spectacular, and those first two games easily could have been 5-2, 4-1, one-sided affairs, so uh, you know, the Sharks Yeah, the Sharks have to go home and hold serve. They got to win games three or games three and four. Otherwise, we could be looking at a short series, which I never thought would happen.
2: Well, let me go to the phone line. It looks like we got Dana in here. Dana, how are you,
1: sir? I'm doing well. How are you, man?
2: oh uh, we're we're doing good. We're doing good. Uh, old friend of the show joins us now, Dana Lane from Dana Lane Sports. Uh, one of the best. Sports information services we have here in Las Vegas. He uh, also has joined our friend Ken Belkey over at Sin Bin Vegas. Uh, he's the co-host on that podcast now. And if if you've been paying attention to him at Dana Lane Sports on Twitter, he's been doing almost every radio show and podcast that he can get his hands on. So if uh, if you if you want some of the best sports information, uh, make sure you follow Dana at Dana Link Sports. So, sir, if, uh, if I'm looking at this correctly, the teams that go up 2 to nothing in the Stanley Cup Final, it's happened 291 times. The, the team on the losing end of that has only come back to win the series 37 times. Oh, so give, yeah. me, g- give me a reason, if you can, why there's still value on San Jose in the series.
1: Well, I can tell you this: the bookmakers think there's value on San Jose. They opened up a minus a dollar thirty-five for Game Three, and uh, the betters are all over San Jose so far. You can't get anything. Well, there's one line under a dollar forty, but that's been bet up to right around a dollar forty-five, and I see a dollar fifty as well. Uh, hey, look, I, I don't know. You know, for me, you take a look at the first thirty minutes of both of these first two games, and there was no doubt. Who was the better of the team? It seems like it takes San Jose about one and a half to two periods to make adjustments to be able to counter their speed. They have not been able to force a, a ton of Penguin turnovers um, in the first half of games, and that and they started to do that a little bit more in the second half and, and apply some pressure. But, um, you know, I just don't know. You know, speed usually wins, and great goaltending wins. And I think that they're getting – Pretty good goaltending out of Matt Murray, although we know that the Sharks have hit a ton of pipes, and especially in game two. So the, the scores could be, you know, an inch, here, an inch here, an inch there. The scores could be completely different. But I think just to the naked eye, even if you didn't know what the scores were, uh, Pittsburgh has a definitive edge on the ice.
2: So going, going into, this, into the final, I heard a lot of people talking about um, San Jose had – too much speed for the heavier checking teams in the West. That's how they they were able to yeah. uh, pretty handily erase the Kings uh, and then move past second round, and their speed was too much for the heavier game of uh, St. Louis in the long run there in the Western Conference Final. Uh, how, how did Pittsburgh flip the script there and use their speed to not only neutralize San Jose's speed, but like you just said, uh, just just pretty much track meet right past them. And I think they're out shooting them at almost 2-1 to one rate here in the final. And that's almost unheard of, too. How's Pittsburgh been able to take away that advantage that seemed going into the series might have been with San Jose?
1: Well, the only thing that I thought San Jose was a little bit better at than Pittsburgh wasn't necessarily the speed. But what they did really well uh, going into that series was get themselves in a position to have offensive success and, and meaning, um, and we see Pittsburgh doing it in this series to San Jose, meaning just, you know, you hear somebody say, well, they're a better skating team. Well, what does sk- a better skating team mean? Well, to me, it means, are you getting, it's just like, in, kind of like in basketball, are you getting positioned on your defender to put yourself in a better position to have offensive opportunities? And I thought that they were, going to, they were able to do that against St. Louis and uh, certainly in the earlier rounds of the playoffs. But I think Pittsburgh has turned the tables on that. So not only are they the faster team, but I think that they're in better position most of the time as well. But again, on the flip side of that, in the third period, I thought San Jose pretty much had the better of those chances. You saw their, their offensive opportunities come from inside a lot more, whereas in the first couple periods, their offensive opportunities came from the perimeter.
2: Now one one thing I saw and I I saw it, saw it in game one, but I wasn't sure uh, where you stood at the, on game two. You did have the under uh, as as one of your one of your plays in game one. Did you follow that yes. up in game two as well? Because that that uh, to it, me was go ahead.
1: No, that's okay. No, we didn't play the under in that. But what we did play, uh, we played the under in the first period of one and a half, which cashed. Uh, unfortunately okay. we also had Pittsburgh in the first period as well and they weren't able to to put a uh you know, a puck pass uh Martin Jones, so that didn't cash in a push. And then we had uh San Jose for the game. So we were one one on one on on game two, but we kinda shied away from the total because okay. uh Again, I wanted to see what kind of adjustments were going to be made in Game Two, but uh, fairly certain that Pittsburgh's speed was a good play. Or I'm sorry, fairly certain that they were going to make adjustments in the, at least in the first period, uh, and it was going to be a little bit tighter game uh, than it was in Game One.
2: Now, what I was going to get to on the on the Game One underplay. That's pretty. I got to say, pretty astute on your part giving that out, given the fact that you have a 21 year old goalie uh, on on one side. And a goalie who's got his name on the Stanley Cup on the other, but still just sure. a kid making his first run going through the Stanley Cups as the number one goalie for a team. How how much did that play into it, if any at all? And then were you were still you were still confident enough to turn around and take the under on that, even given the goaltender situation?
1: Yeah, I, it doesn't it didn't make that big of a deal to me. I mean, you look at Matt Murray and. His uh, his over and under total this year is is right about even. It's at thirteen or it's at even at thirteen and thirteen. And in fact, uh, three of his last four starts were the under. And as far as Martin Jones is concerned, he's always been an over goaltender all season long. But I just felt like it was going to be a much more uh, tight checking game. And in fact, I mean to be completely honest, I I didn't think it was going to go under in the manner that it did. Uh, I thought that the game would be completely flipped uh, from from where it started to where it ended. And I thought that was going to be the opposite of what was going to happen. But, um, no, I, hey, look, I mean, these guys – I made the comment that you got a guy like, uh, you know, for me, for Martin Jones has been playing big games all year. And I've seen enough out of Matt Murray to be pretty confident going under. And, in fact, though, you know, we see in the playoffs a lot different than we see during the regular season. I talked to uh, uh, Nick Bogdanovich from from William Hill and asked him about why we're not seeing a lot of 5 and a halfs in the playoffs. And I know that the general, you know, through history, you won't see a lot of fives. In fact, you might see some 4 and a halfs on that total. But the reason is uh, is clearly the books have not – they still have not involved in their thinking. And and, and in today's NHL, it is nothing to see 35 to 40 shots on goal during the playoffs. So there's no reason – not to have five and a halves out there because the opportunities are plentiful. And plus on top of that in the playoffs, you're more apt to see not one, but maybe two empty net goals at the end. So I always kind of went with the over a little bit, but when it comes to the Stanley cup finals, um, I tend to to look at the under, especially if you're finally going to give me a five and a half, Uh, what we're going to get out of game three. I'm not real sure yet. We're still going over some stuff. I just, to me both of these goaltenders had my had my confidence and if the books were finally going to put up a five and a half that's good enough for me so we went with the under on that
2: let me uh it looks like i might have lost chris chris are you there still i'm
0: here i'm here
2: okay let let me throw it over to chris i know we wanted to uh, ask a couple things go ahead chris sure
0: oh hey dana um so have you been a little bit surprised that uh Brett Burns, Joe Pavelski, and Joe Thornton have been a little too quiet. It seems like Burns has been a little leery of being that super rover due to the Penguin speed.
1: Yeah, you know, um, I made the comment after game one that I thought you could probably throw Belasic in there, too. And I think because I I thought even in that third period yesterday, they started to definitely uh, assert themselves a little bit more. Um, I... Look, I don't think Burns is playback. I think he is really – I'm not sure everybody trusts everybody else to do their job, not because they're not capable of doing it, but I. this Penguin team is just – I mean, they are off to the races. Their transition is the, is the best in the NHL for sure. And I think that he feels as if – he looks to me like he's out there trying to do everybody's job, which – and to some, you know, if you're, if you're watching him, to some people that might look like he's being tentative, but I feel like he's trying to be out there doing everything because I don't think there's a lot of confidence in everybody else to, to be able to physically do their job. That's the way – that's what I took from it. Interesting.
0: How do you but think – But I'm going to uh, tell you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I have to, ahead, I have I'm to tell
1: you, though. That's okay. I have to tell you we've talked all season about who the best defenseman in the National Hockey League is. And it's unfortunate that uh, that firms doesn't get some more prime time uh, play than he does because he, I know we love, we love, you know, Doughty. We we know he's, he's fantastic, but boy, I'll tell you, it is, it is really difficult for me to kind of, go back and, and think of the regular season but but think that there's somebody better than Burns at this point. He, he's absolutely phenomenal. He does everything you could ever ask out of a uh out of a defensive.
0: No question. But so what, well, what do you think about game three Dana? Obviously I mean it's mathematically not a must win for the Sharks, but it's as close as you can mm. get.
1: Yeah, I'm going I'm I'm right now I'm leaning towards the Sharks. I don't love that number. Um, I, I might advise people to stay away from it. A number still under minus a dollar fifty, where you know we are, which is our comfort level. But if it gets too much over a dollar fifty, which we do see at one location already, uh, I would say lay off of it. But for me personally, I bet this one that was at a little bit over a dollar thirty-five. So I, I feel pretty good with the Sharks. They just got to put. They have just got to come out playing that third period in the first period and. and It seems like it it takes Pete DeBoer so long to make the necessary adjustments. Plus, on top of that, I think Pittsburgh laid back a little bit in that third period, allowing San Jose to have a little bit more success. And that's the one thing you have to be leery about, because I think if I'm Mike Sullivan, I go in the locker room and say, look, we've outplayed these guys, but the one thing that we have to be be concerned with is the fact that I think that we got a little lackadaisical in the third period. So everybody, when they go to the window, they always think, well, what kind of adjustments is the team that loses – What kind of adjustments are they going to make? And they never think about, well, what kind of adjustments are the team that is the team that won? What kind of adjustments are they going to make? And so you have to kind of factor those two things in where most people only factor the one thing in.
2: Well, when they go to Game 3, obviously, San Jose has last change. Um, one thing that I think mm-hmm. they do need to adjust and correct, and I'm not sure if they can, they were the last-place face-off team in the league in the regular season, and they've lost that battle both games in Pittsburgh. Is there an adjustment? Yeah can make sense to start winning more of the, especially defensive zone face-offs. I feel that's where San Jose has been really losing the battle when they get their first and second unit on the ice. The The Pittsburgh centermen have just been dominating the, the face-off dot. And when when you have, when you yeah. throw your, obviously, you know, when you throw your first two lines out, you're trying to get them down into the offensive zone. And if you just lose consistently in your defensive zone, they're going to be chasing the puck and they're not going to have the legs come third period, although, we did say in the, set, in the game two, the third period, they were attacking more. But I think the possession's totally been driven by Pittsburgh. I'm wondering what, what specific matchups DeVore can do in that face-off circle to just drive possession more into his into his team's uh, corner of the ice?
1: Well, that's that, that's a million-dollar question because <laughs> right? uh, this is the first time that uh, Joe Kowalski is probably – I mean, if you go in – go throughout the playoffs, I think he's dominated every centerman he's been up against. And, and I don't think – I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I don't think that that is held true, especially in game two. And not only if you're talking about the Penguins, I mean, not only is Crosby fantastic, although they have accused him of cheating in the face-off circle, uh, but, you know, you have a guy like Cole, and that's also won a ton of face-offs as well. So it's it's a very difficult matchup because if you're – Um, if you're Pete DeBoer, I don't know where else you go. Maybe Tierney, who's had a little bit of success, had a little bit of success in game two, Uh, maybe that's more of your go-to guy. But I think you kind of live and die with a guy that got you there, and Joe Pavelski just is not winning enough face-offs. And I've said a thousand times, you know, you show me the Stanley Cup winner, and I'll show you the one that's won the majority of the face-offs, is better on special teams, and is the deeper team. And right now, that's, that's Pittsburgh.
2: Another thing I was thinking about, I want to get to some Vegas Wants Hockey hashtag talk as well Me here in too. a little bit. <laughs> we, got about, we got about 12 minutes, but uh, one thing, and I've seen, I've seen the Sharks a lot out west and, and not as much of Pittsburgh, obviously, but one thing about the Sharks, and I felt this is true over the years as well for, for St. Louis, when they try to play too physical of a game, it takes away from what their strengths are. And with the, the hit totals being seventy two in game one and seventy nine in game two, I, I feel that San Jose might be trying to get into that physical mode that I I think I don't know I don't know what if they're not other good at it. Do they
1: have?
2: No, they gotta hit and they gotta check and they gotta try and slow down Pittsburgh, but I think maybe if if you do a little more of of your own uh, and of course, it's easier said than done. But I think if they would do a little bit, a little bit more concentrated on their breakouts and their speed game, which is what got them to the final, and a little bit less on the physicality, which I've always felt that them in St. Louis, the more physical they get, the less discipline they get in in yes. their, within their structure. And I think that's cost them a little bit, like you said, at least the first two periods of both games. Um, they might be a little loose running around trying to hit them and slow them down and not so much playing within their structure. And maybe moving back on home ice, they can get back more into their flow of the game. And and maybe that's where there's still some value is if they get their matchups they want in last change, then um, they'll be be able to focus more on their speed game and less on their physicality because I don't think that plays well for them. I don't know how you feel about that.
1: Yeah, I I agree, and I certainly agree with your assessment of the St. Louis Blues because that was the type of, of game that, that uh, Ken Hitchcock's team was trying to play as well. And I guess when you can't match speed, you have to be more physical. And we see what Pittsburgh is doing. They have no problem bringing two or three four-checkers uh, to, to stop your first pass out of your own uh, defensive zone. And that's the one thing that San Jose has got to do better. They've got to get the puck off of their stick as quickly as possible and get it up, get it up ice. Because, you know, if you can make that first pass, because Pittsburgh's been extremely aggressive, if you can make that first pass, then you have the advantage. You know, the puck is always going to go faster than the skaters. But, you know, Pittsburgh is almost, you know, again, equated it to, equating it to basketball, they're almost trying to force you into that bad pass. And once you make that bad pass, they are off to the races with their with their speed. And I think that San Jose is – uh, obviously they can't match them with, with speed. And I don't think San Jose can play the same the same game as Pittsburgh uh, uh, either because of, of their lack of speed as well. So I think they have to kind of go back more into the – uh you know, let let's let's put a bunch of guys in in the middle. Um I think it's the Islanders that does this really well. They put a bunch of guys in the middle, to keep teams to the perimeter and as long as they when they have possession of the puck, you know, it's a complete you know, they span out and it's a it's a breakout. I I just don't think that they're gonna be able to forecheck as as hard as Pittsburgh is and and they're certainly afraid to pinch because if they miss on the pinch then they're certainly uh in a bad position. I just think Pittsburgh, as far as their options, have a ton more of a uh, ton more options available to them than what San Jose can counter with. That's my only that's my only issue with with backing the Sharks in Game Three.
2: Chris, you got any uh, anything else you want to get to looking looking forward here to, in San Jose or?
0: Yeah, the one thing I will say about San Jose is I don't think we've come close to seeing their best game other than Martin Jones the way he is right So Fantastic. I would keep I, I would keep I would keep that in mind. Um, obviously they know the deal. Uh, they're in desperation mode, and you know a wounded animal is a dangerous one. Um, so I, I would also keep that in mind as well. And this has been a very I keep. Banging this drum, but I'll say it again. Uh, I expected it last night, but this has been a very resilient team. When, they've, when the chips were down in these playoffs and they had to come up big, they have every step of the way. Now, this is probably the best opponent they've played, so you have to keep that in mind as well. But I would not write off the Sharks yet. You know the old expression in playoff series, you know, you don't hit the panic button until you lose a home game. So they right. haven't lost a home game yet. I know they've been a great road team during the regular season and weren't good at home. But actually, in the playoffs, they've been a terrific home team. Uh, good on the road, terrific at home during these playoffs. So I expect that crowd to be raucous. And, I, you know, they win game three and the whole new ball game.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, mean, I definitely uh... – there's no doubt I agree with that. and That's why I back the Sharks. I expect them to have a fantastic effort at the SAP Center. But, uh, again, it just it can't take them 30 minutes to get back into this game. And, and and for the one thing that really bothers me is the ability for the Penguins to get into the offensive zone almost at will. And I, I think there has to, you know, we could go back to physicality. There has to be something that San Jose does to stop that momentum because it seems like every single time Penguins, the Penguins go up the ice, it seems like they're, gonna, they're, they're poised to get a quality shot. And if you can't pinch on them and you're afraid to forecheck them with, with more than one guy, well you're going to have a hard time. Uh, you know, you're going to have a hard time containing them
2: well all right let's uh let's get a little vegas hockey talk here um right before the final started we had we had Batman come out and all of us spell out that the uh the announcement was gonna be june twenty second i know you guys at the sin bin have been saying that for uh Quite a, quite a while now. I see everybody putting out tweets yesterday. Oh, special sources say done deal. I feel like most of these guys are reading your timeline <laughs> because you guys have been say, you guys have been saying it's a done deal for about six weeks now. And all these all these uh, other quote insiders unquote have uh, just broke the news yesterday that their special sources have, are saying it's a done deal to Vegas. Uh, not as much talk about Quebec City right now. Um what was your take on the commissioner's thoughts there Monday?
1: Uh, well, I can tell you this. I, I know a lot of these national reports are behind the eight ball when uh, you, you read down about three or four paragraphs. And, you know, it says uh, the team is expected to play at T-Mobile Arena. Well, no, they're not expected to. That is where they're going to play. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, there is no other options. Okay, so you're just – I don't know where you're getting this information from, but, uh, you know, obviously your finger's not on the pulse of what's going on. So, as far as what Bettman said, uh, it was really – you know, I mean, hey, look, all I've ever wanted is a date. Give me something of substance. And and I never wanted this – I don't think any of us wanted this to go a year. And I think that if, you know, the NHL was – You know, Bettman kind of rolls his eyes about, you know, the word speculation. Well, geez, Gary, I mean, you know, when when anybody is – when we're left to speculate because you won't give us anything, then that's what you're going to get. And whether or not it's right or wrong, that's what we have because we don't have anything of substance. And now we have something of substance. In fact, today uh, it came out that uh, they will be meeting Tuesday – uh to you know cross the T's and dot the i's on this and then the BOG meeting is going to be on the 22nd. So, executive committee uh was confirmed by a couple of my sources is going to meet on Tuesday. Uh and in fact, Ken had also confirmed this as well. And so that that's great news and I can't believe that they would come to Las Vegas for their awards show only to say, "Hey, thanks for the attempt, We appreciate the 10 million and now you don't
2: get a team." I don't know. No, I that. Man, um, that was my that was my what you just said was my initial response to when when he said, I, I expect to have more of a concrete statement to make on June 22nd in Las Vegas. Um, You bet if he put it this way, if he doesn't, uh, if, if we don't get our team and he says that here in town, I hope he brings yeah. security. Because it's not going to be pretty. Uh, it's oh, not going to be not. pretty for him trying to get to the airport after that award show. Uh, if this is old school Vegas, talk about kneecaps and whatnot. That's not a pretty picture. You, get to, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You better have some right. because that just doesn't make sense that that you would do a PR move that way. It's uh, it, it's kind of silly. So I think we're all, all right. we're all on the same page that that uh, finally we'll have something of, of substance to talk about. I, I remember last year I was at one of the meet and greets that Mr. Foley was at down at, uh, I think it was Suncoast Casino. And I asked mm-hmm. him then, what what can you do before the announcement to maintain the moment? Because if you remember a year ago when the when the first 10,000 or so season ticket reservations were being put down, um the buzz in the city was palpable uh, that we were finally going to be considered a major league sports city uh, yada, yada yada and i asked him i said what do you, what can you do in the interim to keep that momentum going that you've already achieved mm, great and, question and he asked he 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 said what i want to do is I, I just want to continue to get into the community i want to uh make very public any any thing that the nhl will allow me to say and any, any progress that we make, I want to make sure I continue to engage the city and keep that, that energy going. Do you think, and, and not Bill Foley um, specifically, but do you think the Vegas Wants Hockey Group could have done more in the interim 12 months to maintain that momentum? Because I almost feel like it, it plateaued a little bit uh december january as the middle of the nhl season wore on and it just kept getting longer and longer do you think do you think i i got that right am i am i kind of feeling that maybe the the momentum plateaued a little while back and if so how how do, obviously the, the announcement is going to re-energize the whole thing but what can they do going forward after the announcement to reenergize that fan base that we have here
1: oh i i think it's there i just <laughs> I just think in in January and December when Bettman, you know, came out and said there was nothing to report, I think we were all hoping for something. Because keep in mind, I mean, we thought maybe there was going to be something in September and then it was December and then maybe in March at the GM meetings, which was great because then we did get to learn a little bit about how the expansion process was going to work. And I think people just got to the point like, you know, look, I put down money, my money that I went out and worked because I work for, because I believe in Foley. I believe in the National Hockey League. I believe in the fact that, you know, this is something that's important for the city. And now it's like, you know, if you would have told these people it had been a year before they would have heard back about how, you know, essentially they're all shareholders in this. We, we've we all put our money into this and we've certainly have all put our emotions into this, into this. So we I think after a while we were like, you know, we deserve an answer. And then it's kind of like, you know what, let me know when you're ready. Because I'm not going to continuously every day pour my emotion into this if you're just not going to tell me anything. And, and you know, I mean, things do get lost in the holidays, and there's a lot of other things uh, going on. But believe me, when this thing gets announced, then it's game on. Because we can do anything. we could. You know, there's nothing we can't do to engage the public at this point. And, and believe me, <laughs> I'm telling you, last night, I I don't know if you saw my tweet. Last night, no dog in the fight. Las Vegas, the Stanley Cup playoffs, was trending at number four on Twitter. Only Ottawa. Ottawa was the only Canadian National Hockey League city where the the Stanley Cup final was, was trending. Okay, so you tell me where the
2: interest is right now no that I didn't see that that's fantastic. That goes back to the article I wrote for you guys over at Ten Bin Vegas about how our t v ratings are are a clear yes. picture and indicator of how much interest there is in hockey in Las Vegas for all the naysayers and pundits or whatever um, yes. I didn't see that, but that's fantastic that's awesome Chris you got one thing i wanted to I wanted to get uh Chris in here uh being the East Coast guy um if And and I think everybody kind of feels this way. Uh, And our apologies to our friends in Quebec City. We've met a lot of great people in Quebec and all over Canada, obviously. Uh, And a lot of naysayers as well that say that we're a joke and blah, blah, blah. But I'm pretty much over trying to debate them. Although I did take Shannon Sharp on last night on Twitter. If you want to, uh, I don't know if you saw that, but he put a tweet out that it was about football, but it's it's, just it's the same statement as, as they've been making all along is that all oh, Vegas doesn't have disposable income. They're all going to be in casinos. Nobody's going to the game. <laughs> so I hammered him with a couple of business journal quotes that that we're rated at a hundred percent capacity with our disposable income to support an NFL team and also an NHL team at the same time. And, and so I went a little bit all in good fun, but, but, but well, listen, though, if, listen, go ahead.
1: It, it, it's, listen, a year ago, if you go back to my Twitter feed a year ago, I spent my whole morning fighting Canada, fighting the Oh, NFL, you and me
2: both, sir. You and me both. <laughs> every
1: single morning. And so, listen, and so that has gone down to nothing. And why has it gone down to literally nothing? Is because now we've taken the time to educate people. We've educated people in the NHL, and we'll educate people in the NFL if they
2: come. Yep. There you go. So, so if if they do in fact hold Quebec City in reserve for a, a Carolina or I don't know maybe a New Jersey, everyone doesn't ever mention that New Jersey is always in the bottom bottom five in in attendance as well. Um, because I guess because they got cold weather there, so they're still a hockey town. But uh, right. been in the if, bottom
1: been in the bottom of the league for 15 straight years.
2: Correct, correct, sir, but they never get mentioned as and almost even behind the scenes had to take a few hundred million from the league in order to avoid bankruptcy, but uh, because it because it's cold there they're okay, they get a pass, um, or maybe if the Arizona lease runs out, Chris, they do not announce that both Quebec City and Las Vegas are getting a team um how do they how do they play that immediately p r wise because that's obviously going to alienate. Quite a lot of, 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 and let's face it, Canada's a great country. They've got great, fantastic hockey fans. They probably know the game better yes. than anybody else in the world. Um, no. You, you, you know you gotta, <laughs> you got to uh, grow the game. And if you put the team in Quebec City right away, um, you're not going to engage any new fans.
0: Um,
2: how do they spin that, Chris? What's your opinion on how that's going to go down?
0: Yeah, I think mean, that's going to be that's going to be a tough spin because I do believe Quebec City is going to get a, a, a uh, become part of the NHL in the new future. I actually have a new article coming up, uh, hopefully tomorrow morning at Last Word on Sports about this, about the Carolina Hurricanes and how they might have put the final nail in the coffin with Quebec City in terms of their expansion bid and everything that they're going through with the latest news this week of uh, Peter Car- Carmanos, uh the owner of the Hurricanes, being sued uh, by his three-adult son for failure uh, on defaulting on uh, paying back the loan on his uh, son's trust. Uh, so, you know, in the one breath, you know, they're not going to say, well, Quebec City, you know, everyone relax uh, in two years' time. You'll get the Hurricanes. You'll get this team or that team because that's not how it's done. Um, so they're going to have to find creative ways to kind of mend fences. I mean, the good the, the good news for the for the NHL is maybe quietly through sources and stuff they you know get the word out like look Quebec City is still high on our radar um, and you know we can see it happening in the you know sometime in the near sometime in the near future. Uh, I, I do believe, and I wouldn't be shocked if, come the 2017-18 season, Las Vegas, uh, when they start up, is going to be in the West and the Quebec Nordiques will be back in the league in the East. And, unfortunately, for our friends and uh, diehard hockey fans of Carolina, they'll no longer be a team. So, that's a tricky one, though, from a PR standpoint, how to navigate all those borders. Um and you know, I understand what you guys were saying about the Devils, although they have a new building and I know they have a new owner and all that. There is no team currently at the state of where Carolina is at, uh, from my understanding. 30%. So that that is uh, that is the biggest concern on a lot of levels. And I would even say uh, say this: uh, if you put the most, if you put a Bill Foley in Carolina to to navigate that ship. I still don't know if it would work down there. Um, So uh, it's it's going to be tough flooding, to say the least.
2: One thing, thing, Dana, on Monday that he did use was the word defer. Um, We're all obviously hoping that that applies to Quebec City and not us. (laughs) Is is that kind of what you think he put that caveat in for? Maybe was uh, he'll use the the defer the decision on Quebec City until they do a little more homework. Is that one way they can spin it? You think?
1: Uh, for me. Yeah. For you. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, look, it, it for me it was never. Um... This was a big problem when Seattle was not involved in this because I think originally Gary Bettman, or at least if you use common sense on this, uh, I think Gary Bettman would have loved just a nice, easy, Vegas Seattle expansion, Vegas For one sure. year, Seattle the next, Carolina, the the Quebec, and it's all nice and easy. So, But yep. then when Seattle decided not to get involved in this because they're, you know, they're hellbent on getting an NBA arena and that's what they want. And then the, the NHL would it be a nice, you know, a, a, you know, a follow-up to that, but certainly not the reason they're going to build an arena. And you could definitely see when Gary Bettman talks about Seattle, he is really, he's a little peeved about Seattle because he, yeah. spent, he spent a lot of time going up there trying to push this thing through. And and then last August, they decided not to take part in the expansion you know, process as far as putting an application in. But yeah, for sure. I, I look, if you're, if you live in Quebec, you gotta you gotta be disappointed for sure, but then there's something in the back of your head that says, you know, this is a little bit better. Because let's not let's not forget, not only do you have to pay a five hundred million dollar expansion fee. Oh, by the way, is paid in American dollars, so you're up around six seventy six eighty at that point. I am just guessing at that with the math, but it, it's higher. And then all the cost that goes into actually establishing your minor league system and, you know, all the things that go into actually establishing your organization, that's a lot of money. And I'll tell you, it would be a lot less money to, to pay a relocation fee than it would an expansion fee. And, and you know, we've already seen that Quebecor is already trying to, you know, more than willing to get in, uh, take in new partners. You know, I, I obviously they could put the bill on this, but I obviously also think, that uh, they're more than willing to not have the whole burden as well. So I think the monkey wrench in this was thrown in when Seattle decided not to take part.
2: No, I
0: agree 100%. If I can make a quick point on Seattle in, in, in terms of Bettman, well, Bettman also has, Mr. Bettman, he has to realize that, you know, he could be kicked off at Seattle or the city council, whatnot. But at the end of the day, Say what you want about Quebec, uh, pros or cons, Quebec City, but one thing's for certain: they have an ownership group that is trying to do everything they can to make it happen, just like Las Vegas does.
1: Can't yeah. say that
0: about we can't say that about Seattle, and and obviously there is no state-of-the-art arena ready at the ready like those other two cities. So to, you know, be that as it may, you have to have an ownership group who is dedicated to this, both short and long-term, and no one has stepped up. And this, even in Seattle, the, uh, the Hanson group that we've mentioned in, in the past, uh, all indications are, you know, first and foremost is the NBA. And then it's like, well, if you're going to have the arena, why wouldn't you then add hockey onto it? only makes sense at that point. But their, their first and foremost seems to be more about basketball than, than, than the NHL. So, you know, you, you have For to sure, have, yeah. uh, you know, the old, yeah. So, you know, the the old expression, you have to bring the horse to water. You know, you, you can only bring the horse to water. that You can't make a drink. Well, Batman first has to bring the horse to the water. He, he hasn't done that.
1: Well, not only that, I mean, and, it, and it's understandable as well, because there are still people in that city that are bitter about what happened with the Sonics. It is an absolute bitter pill that probably should not have happened. And, and it was, you know, if I'm a guy, a person in Seattle who's a huge Sonics fan, I'm like, you know, David Stern did absolutely nothing to try to keep our team in town. But, yeah, he's bent over backwards to try to keep the Kings in Sacramento. Done everything he possibly could to keep, that, keep them from moving. And, and so what was, you know, he couldn't wait to take our team away. So I think that there's that, that void and that empty spot that they, are, they are want to fill basketball-wise nobody living there right now or very few remembers remembers professional hockey in Seattle. So they're like, okay, you know, I mean, we got the Thunderbirds, we're good to go. And, you know, but that, that sonic memory, that's the bitter pill. And I, and even if you look at the language of of them trying to get this approved, it was NBA arena. There was nothing in there that says NHL. So they clearly were focused only on the NBA.
2: For sure. Not, not too many people, uh, Remember that the Seattle no. franchise, they were the first American team to have their name written on the Stanley cup. So there is a history of hockey in up there, but it's a long time ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. what, let me, let me get it back to the, NBA I know, I know, we, I know,
0: I know the minor but, league teams do very well though.
2: For sure. For sure. They have two, a, a junior and a minor league. And I, I was looking yep. at our friends up there, Seattle sin And I believe they each draw around 10,000 or so per game. So there's obviously it's a, it's a perfect footprint to put them up there. They've got their built-in rival with Vancouver. If they had had both Vegas and Seattle with their ducks in a row, you could have balanced the Western conference with the Eastern conference, as far as number of teams in each side. And it would have been a pretty picture. Even at one point there, I think there was three groups. There was some mysterious Belleville group. There was the Tukwila arena project and then the Soto project downtown and at one point we were thinking going back and forth with our friends up there uh they may get as many as 3 people with a a, a satisfactory application that the league was going to have to consider and then when the deadline came and went and they've got none out of Seattle that that was a blindside that was not to be expected um and I think it's taken a while to come up with another plan. To be honest with you, I think they did not have the plan B in place to say, well, okay, if Seattle doesn't put in, where do we go here? You know, put pieces in other, you know, square pegs and square holes and and dot your eyes to have a plan B if that didn't happen. I think it's taken a long time for the league to recover from that.
0: Personally,
2: um, let me let me get back onto the ice. We only have a few minutes left, and I wanted to. Stanley Final Uh the C league, Danny, you know that. Um if something works for for a group of uh teams team else in the league same thing. What does this the speed hybrid physical game do? Maybe the bulk of the the the, the heavy quote, uh, the checking, the physical teams out west, like the Kings, the Ducks, the St. Louis Blues, not because I they could play a physical game, but they definitely have speed and skill to go with that. But, do, not they, they have They've taken the C off Dustin Brown. That could signal a new direction for that franchise. Do you see, do you see those heavy teams in the West playing keep up with the Joneses now? I've pitched. Does go on and win the Stanley Cup final? Do you think there's going to be some cat in that?
1: Uh, for sure, I, I think that with the way uh, I don't think every team, um, you know, I think you have some heavy teams out out uh, east too. I think uh, you know the well, yeah. I mean, yeah, she Boston,
2: Boston,
1: yeah, but then Luches came to mind, and I thought, well, not so heavy anymore to me. Uh, they're certainly right. not as physical as they were and I've heard other people around the league say that, so you know, that that is a definitive factor. But I think you even could condense it down to the Pacific division. I mean that's your that's your heavy division and unless they all do it, I think the idea is you know, obviously to win that division. So I don't I don't think there's gonna to be too much of a change there. Uh but, you know, certainly we, we see where speed wins. But at the same time though, I don't think it's just speed. Because I think Pittsburgh is, is for for a team that's considered a speed team, I think they're pretty physical. I, I mean they, no, I they hit when they they hit when they need to. So I think that there is a there needs to be a good mix. I don't know if there's a big mix with LA, uh, certainly with Anaheim, and they're so defensive oriented. I mean I've said this all along. I mean I one of my uh, you know, my my uh, coworkers on Sinbin.Vegas Vegas was all so high about the ducks and I'm like, Look, who's gonna score goals? You know, you've got great defense and and pretty good goaltending. And and then we've heard, well, you know, certainly we'll get one of the two goaltenders here in Vegas, and that would be fantastic. And I'm like, well, okay, so you want to play that style of hockey because I just don't think that either one of them is going to be somebody that's going to stop 30 to 35 shots a night if you're going to play wide open
2: hockey. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to ask you, too, I was looking at the, the Eastern and Western Conference Finals, and you look at, at those eight goaltenders, when you go Bishop Vasilevsky, Mark-Andre Fleury, mm-hmm. Matt Ma Murray, Jake Allen, Brian Elliott, Martin Jones, obviously I believe he'll be the protected one there, but they've got Optimus Ryan from Toronto. What do you think the odds are if you had to put a number on it that one, at least one of those eight goaltenders is on the roster opening night of Vegas?
1: Oh, I think it's a great I, – I think the odds are – are pretty even, actually. I'm I think you even, have to go I'm even honest, money, because, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, I, I think when you look for a goaltender, you look no further than Pittsburgh or Tampa Bay or Anaheim or St. Louis, even. Um, I think that those are the organizations right now that I'd be looking at. I, I know I wouldn't be looking at Montreal. So, right. so that uh, and certainly those, those are certainly your organizations that you would be looking for, for goaltenders at, but there's a, it, it is going to be very interesting this fall when, when all the rosters are said and done and everything is kind of trickled down a little bit, I, I am going to start that process of actually, you know, putting a numerical value on, on some of these guys and saying, you know, this is who we should definitely target. But, you know, and I appreciate all the work that people have done uh, with all this, but, you know, we just we heard some variations now of, of what the expansion draft is going to be like. You no longer have to protect a certain percentage of your payroll, and there's going to be some tweaks. So until I know exactly who the players will be uh, in, involved in a possible expansion process um, or, or expansion draft, I, I'm just not going to take the time to do it yet. But certainly sure. I'm going to start with goaltenders, and it's certainly in the back of my mind all those guys. Uh, you might see some wheeling and dealing, too.
2: You might see I, that's,
1: say, look, we're going to give you X if you don't go after Matt Murray. You know, that, right, that sort right. of thing might happen as well.
2: Well, one thing that uh, Chris had mentioned is the the announcement being the 22nd and the draft soon to follow. Uh, I think I think the draft day dealings in response to the expansion draft next year I think all of those machinations and, and dealings and wheelings are going to start taking place at this year's drafts. I mean, if you take the Tampa Bay goalie situation, uh, you have a Vezina Trophy finalist in Bishop this year. He's going to be a UFA in 2017. It, you, your decision to protect Vasilevsky or Bishop has to be made this year. You yep. either decide to sign Bishop to the long-term deal, And go ahead and expose Vasilevsky, or it doesn't make any sense to keep Bishop any longer. You're you're already going to lose Stamkos. You might as well let your kid tender, who's proven. To me, anyway, that, that he's a very athletic stud. He might need to tweak just a little bit on his positioning when he comes away from the away from the painted area in the crease. But if that's your future and you're retooling away from Stamco's and you you know you're up against salary cap. I know Chris Chris is big on on the salary deals. Um, you got to re-sign quite a few of their young skilled forwards. They may just if you see Bishop move could sooner rather than, le- rather than later, don't you think, Chris?
0: Yeah, I, I actually, Bishop's a pre-agent after next year, so theoretically speaking, what Tampa could do if they wanted to keep both is they just, you know, not sign Bishop, have him play out next year, comes to UFA. Uh, I don't know the rules how the rules will play out in terms of UFAs. Uh, I wouldn't imagine that you would have to protect the UFA or that you could take one, but even if they did take him, uh, take bishop to that point, he'd be a free agent in a short period of time and then Tampa could resign him on July first. But having I'd settled, be screaming having, collusion, bro. Would be right. screaming collusion. Right. <laughs> well he'd be a free agent at that point. So uh no, but having you know said now. all that
2: I didn't think about that.
0: Yeah. So ha- having 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 said all that, uh, and I have written about this a uh, recent article last week, uh, last word on sports people check it out. About the Blues and the Lightning, and Tampa is probably in the worst shape cap-wise in the league. Basically, every core player is going to be a UFA or an RFA between uh, this summer and next summer, and everyone's going to get gigantic races. It's not just about Stamkos and Bishop. So I would be sh- I would be willing to bet uh, money that Ben Bishop gets moved this summer, maybe to a Calgary uh, uh, for some so some chips back. Uh, be that what it may, and they'll go with Vasilevsky and then make a move for a veteran goalie to kind of back up Vas- Vasilevsky. They're going to have to make moves like that. Uh, simply put, everyone thinks, well, if Stamkos leaves, doesn't that give them a world of cap space? Victor Hedman is a UFA after next season. His current cap number is $4 million. On the open market, he would get $9 million in his sleeve, given his, given his age. That's a $5 million, just for Hedman alone. That's a $5 million increase. Famco's cap number is currently at 7.5, so basically right. in a year's time of that 7.5, two thirds of it is going to have to be used on Hedman alone. That's just that's just to cover Hedman, and maybe that can cover another player, but they still have a long way to go in terms of their cap, so uh, I don't see a scenario when, both, and, and Vasilevsky's an RFA after next season, so he's going to get a nice bump up of his $900,000 salary as well, so... I don't see uh, both of them being able to afford in, in an NHL cap world both those goals. So, and keep in mind that of the other teams, real quick that you mentioned, Brian Elliott's just like Bishop; he's a UFA after next year. So St. Louis theoretically, speaking, could protect Jake Allen. Brian Elliott will then, you know, go to free agency. I think he'll be 32 at that point. Uh, the Ducks are the ones kind of up against it a bit, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised because of that it forces their hand to trade uh, Frederick Anderson uh, this offseason, maybe to a Toronto or, or somebody like that. I can't imagine the Ducks would want to trade Anderson to the Flames, but, you know, uh, to a Carolina or a Toronto. You know, obviously it's a lot easier for West teams to trade with the East and vice versa. So, uh, I, I, you know, like Dana said, you really have to see where the opening ro- night rosters are on uh, come next year. And even still, so, there can still be moves made between opening night and next year's trade deadline. But that will give you a better indication of where everything yeah. is at.
2: Well, they could can do what Boston next... did and turn around and flip Martin Jones back to the Sharks. Thanks, Boston. Go ahead, go ahead,
0: Dana. <laughs>
1: I know. Can you imagine next year's trade deadline? I mean, if you thought this year's was <laughs> had no activity or very little activity, next year's are going to be
2: crazy. I anticipate. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, uh, we're, we're just about out of time here, uh, Dana. Thanks again, as always. I mean, I could sit here and talk hockey with you all day. I'm looking forward to seeing yeah, you. you're going to be down. Sure. You're going to be down at the award show, right? I certainly will. Okay. Well, I'll look you up when when we get there. Um, if anybody, if you if you go online and go go to Twitter at Dana you can text picks to seven zero two four seven one eight seven seven seven. And you'll receive today's elite play. If you're outside of Nevada, it's for informational purposes only. <laughs> but uh, for sure, if you're in Las Vegas and you're going to the window on a daily, you know, for, for a daily pick, uh, you you need to get in on Dana's text line and get his pick. I think he's at are, 60. What percentage are you going on that? Do you track that, Dana?
1: You know it's tough too because um, I don't know if people don't like to hear that, but it's difficult too because uh, you know sometimes we'll give out uh, some prop bets because we we like the way like say a starting pitcher is is uh, is is throwing. We get some information about how he's throwing in the bullpen, and by information I mean we see it on Twitter, so nothing <laughs> nothing nothing going bad. But you know, and then the other thing too, you know, uh, we give out some first period plays, so it, you know it's. On a daily basis, yeah. it's difficult to continuously update that. But, um, you know, all we ask is, is basically say, look, you know, we're willing to give, put our hand out first, give you a play, and we're going to tell you to take it easy and take it slow because that's how you properly do things. And um, if you stay the course and stay with what we're doing, you know, you're going to find success. 100%, 100%.
2: So, sir, I appreciate it. I will definitely be looking for you over there at the MGM. It's at the MGM, right? It's the Hard Rock. That's a, I, that's right. They moved it this year. Okay. Well, I'll be yeah. looking for you at the Hard Rock, sir. Thank you again for joining us, Chris. You got anything else?
0: No, that's it. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, Game Three, and I expect a big effort by the Sharks. I'm hoping so, from a hockey fan perspective, because otherwise, this this, this could be Pretty much good uh, tonight and close up the lights kind of deal. What?
2: Let me let me put you on the spot real quick. Dana, does does Pittsburgh finish it off?
1: Well, I mean it's hard to go against Pittsburgh. I don't know how you. <laughs> uh, I mean uh, you've had two shots and neutralized your speed, and I haven't heard or I haven't seen anything where you're able to do that at least over a, a sixty minute game. Uh, for me, I mean, I took a shot on on San Jose in Game Three, but certainly if they don't win Game Three, I don't want anything to do with them the rest of the way.
2: Okay, buddy, I know you're busy, sir. Uh, catch Dana Lane on Twitter at Dana Lane Sports. Make sure you follow uh, at SinBinVegas. Is that that's the Twitter feed over there, right?
1: Yeah, it's SinBin.Vegas and SinBin.Vegas. Uh, talk, there you go. Yeah, and, and it's at. Well and the Twitter feed is at SinbinVegas, vegas, and the website is Sinbin.Vegas. dot
2: vegas right 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 so make sure you guys they're the the in depth vegas uh podcast if you guys are, are want more more strict Vegas content, you guys need to follow them as well as us, so they do a great job over there. they're good friends of us and, and we consider them good friends to our show, and hopefully it's vice versa yes, I keep sir. getting Dane on so of they're course. not upset with us yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: all right uh, hey look
1: i'm uh, i i'm uh well let's see i'm a i'm a volunteer you know i'm a free agent so i can
0: there you go i hey
1: look any platform that i can get about las vegas and hockey i i'm on it and, and i consider everybody friends and everybody in this town and everybody around the country that promotes this thing and wants this to happen, everybody is a friend because we're all in it together, and we're all in it for one goal, is to get this team on the ice and get this team on uh, uh, winning some games and, and make this city proud.
2: Okay, buddy, I'm going to let you go. we got to wrap this up. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll talk again soon, man. Okay, man, I appreciate your time. Thank you as always. Oh, it's all good. It's all good, buddy. We'll talk soon. Well, all right, wrap up uh, this segment of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I actually had to extend it twice to, uh, to keep, keep things rolling. I love the conversation we were having, so I couldn't, I couldn't bear to cut it loose, sir. I hope we didn't take up too much of your time today as well.
0: No, no, it's all good. I uh, love talking hockey, Stanley Cup, and uh, we've got a lot of great shows coming up. Uh, we're starting the preparation on our big draft show. So, uh, you know, we'll people keep, we'll keep an eye out on that. We're looking at uh, about a week or so out from the draft, give or take. But we'll, once we have the details, we'll pass that along to everyone as well.
2: 10-4, 10-4. Make sure you guys all follow Chris at, at the NL King on Twitter. And you can... You can, uh, he'll link all his content there, but he writes for the last word on sports.com as well as the hockey writers.com. So make sure you guys check out all of Chris's content over there. If you're an Islanders fan, especially go to the hockey writers.com cause he covers them exclusively. And with that, sir, I'm going to let you go and we will talk again soon. Sounds good. Okay, buddy. And we're gone. Hello hockey fans and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all.